0: Hello and welcome to my podcast if you're a new listener or an old friend. We're in a series in Hebrews 11 at the moment looking at what faith is. Now it's common today for people to define faith as a leap in the dark or something you need to switch your brain off to have. That's a pretty weak argument and it's not how the Bible defines faith. So listen in as we look at what the author to the Hebrews has to say. As always, feel free to send any questions or feedback my way. The details are in the show notes. So let's begin. How bright is your future? How bright is your future? Now, some of you might be too young to remember this. I always thought I might say that at some point. But in the 90s, this phrase was used by the mobile phone provider, orange. Do you remember this? The future is bright. The future is orange. Well, the idea behind it was to point us to a future where wireless communication, this newfangled thing that we hadn't heard of at the time, was going to be king. And as I look around and see the mobile phones, it shows that is where we live today. The issue is, though, where are they now? The future's bright. Well, the future was orange. You see, they didn't look far enough ahead. Where are they today? What's next? We all know wireless communication. Well, this morning... We're going to be looking into the future, looking into the future far beyond where Orange wanted to take us, and into a future that is going to last a lot longer than Orange did. We're in the middle, as we've said, of a series in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been learning, we've been seeing what faith is. And we saw in the opening verse of Hebrews 11 verse 1, James read it to us earlier, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Last Sunday, we saw that faith is in the unseen, but it is anchored in what God has said, knowing that He is trustworthy. And therefore, it's not a leap in the dark, it's not an Indiana Jones style moment. It has grounding to it. And that was an, uh, an encouragement to the original hearers of this letter. They were considering shrinking back, giving up, throwing in the towel on following Jesus. And that is an encouragement to us here too today, just to keep living no matter what happens, trusting that God has promised a greater future, guaranteed in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, knowing that the best is yet to come. So this morning, we're going to pick that idea up again and run with it and see what these verses in 8 to 22 have to teach us about faith. We're going to see the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story of Isaac, of Jacob and of Joseph. And in each and every case, we're going to see that their faith looks forward beyond the grave. And that is what the author of Hebrews wants The people then and us now to grasp that faith looks forward beyond the grave. So let's have a look at our text and see our first point, that faith looks forward. We started to see this last Sunday morning as we looked at the story of Noah back in verse 7. You want to remind yourself? As Noah was warned that a flood was going to come, he looked forward And lived in light of it. He built an ark. And we were told that in doing that, Noah became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah became an heir. Now I don't know if any of you are heirs to anything. Supposedly we all have that rich uncle who we're going to inherit from. But we all know that an heir inherits something an heir gets something they inherit something of importance they look forward to the day when that inheritance is going to come their way and we're told here that noah was an heir noah lived in light of the future noah's faith looked forward we saw that last week but now we see the same thing is said of abraham in verses 8 to 12 In verse 8, Abraham is spoken of as having an inheritance. In verse 9, he and his children are referred to as heirs. So we have the same idea going on. This passage is flowing directly on from where we were last week. So let's have a look at this story, shall we? As I said last week, I'm convinced, I'm utterly convinced, that the author has carefully handpicked these people and the events mentioned to make his point. And because of that... We're meant to ask, why these people, and what do they teach us? Let's have a look. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. There are two little words, by faith. You see, Abraham had been living in the land of Ur. That's actually its name. That's not a mind blank. It was really called Ur. And from archaeology, we know a lot about this place called Ur. In fact, there's a really good exhibition at the British Museum, if you go and have a look. Ur was located in modern-day Iraq. And in comparison to the world around it, it was pretty advanced. The documents and the jewellery that we've dug up and that we continue to dig up show us that that's true. Ur, despite its name was a very nice place to live. But we learn from this verse that the very moment that God called Abraham to leave it, he packed up and he got out. When I moved from my hometown of Ramsgate, down in the southeast coast to St. Albans, one of the weird things that happened was everyone congratulated me on moving up the location ladder. What I then found out was that St. Albans had been featured on Location, Location, Location and had come eighth in the best places to live that year. Since then it went down. That's not because I moved. But it looked like a great location choice. But for Abraham here, leaving Ur would have been like leaving a fully kitted mansion to go live in the local dump. He left behind his family name. The safety of his homeland, you might think the streets aren't safe today. Well, the gangs in Abraham's time were far worse. And if that wasn't enough, outside of known civilization, the risk of catching something deadly went up massively. So for Abraham here to up sticks and move out of town wasn't a simple decision. Take into account as well what we're told of Abraham's knowledge of his destination at the end of this verse. What does it say? He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's faith in the unseen, isn't it? That's taking God at his word and trusting him that his commands are good. Abraham received even less knowledge, less information than Noah had earlier about what was going to happen, and still he went. We're told that Abraham went and he made his home in the promised land. That was known at the time as the land of Canaan. That's what we now know as the land of Israel. But he didn't settle down. Did you notice that? Did you notice how he lived? Have a look again at verse 9. The author makes a point of it. He draws our attention to it twice. He says that Abraham lived like a stranger in a foreign country. And then he says, Abraham lived in tents. Now, God had promised this land to Abraham as an inheritance. It was his. The landowner of the whole world had given this land to Abraham. But Abraham lived in it like a stranger in a foreign country. Perhaps you're in that situation today. Or perhaps you've been in a situation where you've been overseas. It's an odd feeling to be a stranger in a foreign country. Sometimes we can feel that too in the way that society's standards have moved against our own, like a stranger in a foreign country. You see, the original readers of this would know what that is like. They would have felt like strangers in a foreign land, as they'd thrown away everything to follow Jesus. It would have felt like they were the odd ones out. In fact, the Original readers were being tempted to go back to the old ways, to step back into following the Jewish way once more, to return to the faith of their fathers. But what we're reminded of here is that the faith of their fathers is this faith. Even though this land was his, it had been given him by God, Abraham still lived in tents. You see, he could have started to build a house straight away if he'd chosen. But he chose to not call this place home. He chose to live in a tent. And notice who else this affects as well. This choice on Abraham's part affects his future family. His son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob did exactly the same thing. Even though they were heirs to the same promise. Now, some of us enjoy, might enjoy living in a tent. I'm seeing James over there, I'm sure he would. At least for a short while, yeah? I'm looking at those of you who came to our weekend away and decided I'm going to stay on that field rather than the nice house over here. Yeah? You know who you are. Well, one of the greatest things I've been told about living in a tent is that it's not forever. You can return to your bath, you can return to the mattress and the wardrobe at some point. It is not forever. And you see, Abraham, Abraham didn't expect to live the camping lifestyle forever either. It wasn't just because Abraham lived in a society that lived in tents at the time. No, we're told that Abraham didn't think he'd live in a tent forever because, verse 10, the next verse says, he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was future-looking. He was future-longing for a city with foundations. It doesn't take much to see the contrast. Just compare in your mind for a moment a tent and a city. One is a lot more permanent than the other, I hope you agree. A city, it has foundations, and a tent, well, it has pegs. A city is stable. A tent, well, just try and camp in the middle of a storm. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was looking forward to a city, a city whose architect and builder is God. We're going to return to that point in a moment. But from this comparison, we can see that a tent here is meant to show us the temporary nature of Abraham's present situation. See, Abraham didn't expect this to last forever. This was not his final destination. He was looking forward to something more. He had... As we're thinking about this morning, a faith that looked forwards. In fact, when we we see how the author of Hebrews uses the word tent in other places, it backs up this idea. Back a couple of chapters, back in chapter 9, we're given the description of a tabernacle. That's actually the same word for tent. And the idea there in chapter 9 is it's temporary too. So when we see the idea of tent in this letter of Hebrews, we're meant to think temporary. Abraham looked forward to something better. Something with foundations, not with pegs. Well, the the second story about Abraham we get in this section is demonstrating this forward-looking faith again. This is the story of the birth of Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac. It's in verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Now, that is possibly the biggest understatement in the entire Bible. Sarah at this point is 90. That's far beyond childbearing age, as far as my biology class told me. But God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have children that were as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Add to that fact that Abraham wasn't in much better shape than his wife. See how this verse describes him? Verse 12. He was as good as dead. The Bible said that, not me. In fact, the literal translation of that phrase is one who had become dead. Dead. That reminds us of Enoch and Abel that we saw last week, doesn't it? Abraham was basically dead, says the Bible. So let's reconsider this baby promise, shall we? Doesn't it look a bit impossible? How often do you meet a 90-year-old in the maternity ward of Watford? It is laughable. (laughs) But notice what Hebrews shows us about faith here. What does Sarah think of God? She considered him faithful, who had made the promise. She considered him reliable. As we've seen before, faith trusts in God's promises. Faith is based in who God is. It's based in his character as the one who keeps his promise and rewards those who come to him. And that reminds us that even though things may seem impossible, things may seem like they're never going to happen, It might be a struggle, but faith holds on to God and his promises, and it doesn't let go. That would encourage the original readers of this letter. And that's encouraging to us too, isn't it? Even though the world around us might make it seem like God's promises are impossible, even when persecution comes, when suffering is around, faith is not affected. Because it is based in who God is and what he has said, not in what's going on around us. As the writer earlier in the letter has said, that means we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. We can hold on to our hope because he who promised is faithful. Abraham and Sarah trusted And as this example shows, that one out of who had become dead, life came about. As numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the shore. Now to make sure we've got this point, we're given a summary statement in verses 13 to 16. Verse 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You see, Abraham and Sarah didn't shut their eyes to the reality around them. But in light of God's character and their faith in him, those promises became so real that they could see and greet them. They could live their life looking forward to what is to come. And as verse 14 tells us, that's a general principle. That's something that people like us, or like the people this letter is written to, can say too. Because of who God is, we can be like Sarah and consider God reliable. Now that means, one implication of that, is that we don't live our lives looking backwards. As we've seen, the country that Abraham had left was far better than where he went. He could have gone back at any point. He hadn't burnt his bridges. He hadn't been booted out. He could have returned and lived his luxurious lifestyle once again. And no one would have batted an eyelid. But he chose to forsake all of that. He chose to throw all of that away and live life looking forward. Looking forward to a better country. Because we know how tempting it is when things are not looking good to just throw in the towel and go back to the way things were before. We know that, don't we? Particularly with faith in Jesus. The moment that you came to believe in Jesus, is the king, uh, Jesus is the King and the Lord of absolutely everything. It changed your life. It was the best news you could hear ever. But now, a few years down the line, your family may be against you. You might be having problems in your job. And for some Christians in this world today, this morning, it might even lose them their life. Is that what you expected? Is this really worth it? Perhaps you're in that situation this morning. Perhaps you're thinking this right now. We see that thought would have been the same thought going through the first hearers' minds as well. The temptation to shrink back, to go back to the way things were before this Christianity thing had come along, would have been great. To go back to Judaism, a, a safe, a physical religion from Christianity, which is unsafe and not physical. To go back from living a way of life that was legal in the Roman Empire from one that was being actively opposed by the emperor. To return to the safety net of the family, tried and tested faith. You see, the temptation was enormous. But the Bible says, right here in Hebrews 11, don't go back. Don't throw in the towel. Look at these examples of faith. See what they are pointing you towards. You don't need to return to the faith of your fathers because you're already there. The best is yet to come. Hold on, stick it out, have faith there is something better. We saw with Abraham that he was looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. And we see that picture developed in verses 13 to 16. See, Abraham admitted, he says this in the Old Testament, that he was a foreigner, that he was a stranger on earth. He was longing for a better country, a heavenly one, as verse 16 says. To quote James Bond, the world is not enough for Abraham. See, a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, is a better country, a better city. It's a heavenly one. It's an eternal one. There is no city on earth like this. There is no city on earth like this. It doesn't take much to prove that. Just think of the great cities of this world. Think of Rome. Now that, that was a great city. It even called itself the Eternal City at one point. It was the capital of the world for many, many years. It, was, it is a great city to have a holiday in and visit. But it's a city that was toppled. You see, as, as you walk around it on holiday, you're reminded of that fact around every street corner. It's a city that is now ruin after ruin after ruin. Or think a bit closer to home for these guys. Think of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, we have that city today. We have the land of Israel today, don't we? But it too was toppled. Not long after this letter is thought to have been written. So you see, we can't equate it with the city that Abraham was looking for. That's not what Abraham was looking for. That is not what he was ultimately promised, is what Hebrews says. See, that would miss the point of what this author here is saying. Just to give you some more proof, in chapter 13, verse 14, the same writer says, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. See, that city is not here yet. It wasn't there then, and it isn't here now. We are in the same position as these readers, and looking forward, like Abraham, to the city that is to come. The better city, the heavenly city. The land that Abraham was looking for was one that cannot, cannot be toppled. A land that was planned and executed by God and God alone. A better country, a heavenly one. One that is eternal, one that is built by God, secured by God and with God forever. If home is where the heart is, then Abraham's heart was with God. Trusting God that he is the source of satisfaction. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called Abraham's God. And the same for all of those who look to God for their future. God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Well, look at that. We've seamlessly transitioned into my second point this morning in those verses. And that is that faith looks beyond the grave in verses 17 to 22. Now, here we have four more examples of the faith that the author wants his readers and us, remember, to have. And once again, each one of those is picked specifically to show us faith beyond the grave. The first is the story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. Now, as we've just seen, Abraham had been given this promise, a promise of many, many descendants. And when Isaac came along, that seemed to be the small and humble start of that promise coming true. But all of a sudden, that is put on the line when God calls Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. To offer on an altar the the one sign that God's promise may come true. As verse 17 says, he who had embraced the promises, that's the promise that through Isaac there's going to be many, 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 many others, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. To sacrifice everything that Abraham had seen. To sacrifice all that he had as proof for this promise of God. His unique, his irreplaceable son, Isaac, through whom All of his offspring would be reckoned, was laid on an altar, about to be sacrificed. Your mind just just boggles, doesn't it, as you wonder what's going through Abraham's head at this point. How could he obey this command? Well, we're told here. Verse 19. He reasoned. Could say he had faith that he trusted that God could even raise the dead. You see, for Abraham, God's promises were so trustworthy that he could leave the solution to this impossible situation in God's hands. That even if that blade had pierced his son, that even if he'd killed his one and only son. That God could have resurrected him. That God could have brought him back to life. Wow. That's that's faith, isn't it? And so, Isaac, in a manner of speaking, was received back from death. You see, faith believes that God's word will come true, even if it needs a resurrection. Even if it requires the impossible, humanly speaking. You see... Faith's logic doesn't reason that if God loves us, he must save us from difficulty. That he must save us from disease and illness. That he must save us from sacrificing something. That he must save us from death. That's what it's saying here. Instead, it says that I am persuaded that neither life nor death can separate us from the love of God or from the fulfillment of his promises. Abraham's faith pointed beyond the grave. And these examples of faith, they steam ahead quickly to that son Isaac in the next example we're given. And once again, we look beyond the grave as Isaac blesses his two sons, Jacob and Esau, in regard to their future. You see, Isaac's trusting God to act past his own death. As Isaac comes to his, the end of his life, he is still waiting for those promises, that city with foundations. So he blesses his two sons, trusting that God will bring those blessings about. And we carry on. The same is then said for Jacob. That's Isaac's son. As Jacob was dying there in verse 21, see that faith beyond the grave again? Jacob there at the end of his life, he's leaning on his staff. That staff reminds him of all the promises that God has made to him. And finally, with Joseph. Even though, from our Sunday school memory, we can recall a whole load of different stories about Joseph, many examples from the life of Joseph of how he shows faith, how he trusted God even when he was sold as a slave by his brothers, how he trusted God in his encounter with Potiphar's wife, how he trusted God by not taking revenge on his brothers many years down the line. But instead, we just have this one entry for Joseph. And the author picks him, like all the others, for a specific, uh, carefully designed purpose. What's that purpose? For his faith beyond the grave. Verse 22. By faith, when his end was near, he's going to die soon, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, in our Bible timeline, we have to realize the exodus is after Joseph. It hasn't happened yet, but Joseph is looking forward to it. Now, if someone this afternoon was to come to you and ask you to take their bones around with them, you'd probably think them mad, wouldn't you? Here's a bag. What an odd thing to say. But as we've followed this path through these verses, hopefully it's making some more sense to us. You see, God had promised the Israelites that they would leave Egypt in an exodus, that they would go to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and Joseph wanted his bones to go there too. Now, it's worth knowing that Joseph could have had a burial in Egypt, a burial of a prince in Egypt. He could have stood forever in the sands of Giza as a monument there. But instead, he follows his great-granddad Abraham and chooses instead to trust God's promises for the future. In the years running up to that exodus... There, Joseph's Bones would have been, pointing to the oppressed, the suffering Israelites under Pharaoh, to the hope of the future. As those years passed, those bones would have been carried around in the wilderness. They would have spurred the Israelites on to trust God's promises, that there was going to be an end to their wandering. And as those very bones were laid to rest in that land, they would encourage the people to remember that God is reliable, And that means Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all ask us a question this morning. What are your plans beyond the grave? What are your plans? You, this morning, what are your plans beyond the grave? Now, we don't need to have our bones carried around. That's not what I want you to take from what I'm saying this morning. As we saw, we're looking forward to a heavenly city. There's no special place that your bones need to be taken today. But, we do have a promise that God has spoken, that even though we will all one day die, that's not the end of the story. Because of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be certain that there is life beyond death. In fact, Jesus himself said it in John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So the question for you this morning is, do you consider God reliable? Do you consider God reliable? Do you consider him trustworthy? As the original readers, and us too, hear of these men of faith. We're reminded that God keeps his promises beyond the grave. And we can consider him reliable. So in conclusion, the Bible calls us to a faith that is looking forward to a faith that is beyond the grave. A faith that places its trust in God, in what he's done in the past, and what he promises to do in the future. So let me return you to a variation of that question again that I asked at the start. How bright is your future? Are you, here this morning, convinced of what God has promised? Each and every one of us has to answer that question. There's no hiding away. Will you take God at his word? Will you have faith? If not, if you're trying to drown me out right now in your mind, let me just ask you one question. Why not? Why not? I'd love to chat with you, if that's you, after this, over a cup of tea or coffee. But for many of us in this room, we'd call ourselves Christians. We'd have called ourselves a Christian for many years. Do you, though, still take God at his word? Are you still convinced of what God has promised You might have been when you first came to faith, but let me just ask you here and now, are you still today? Because what you're convinced of changes how you live, as these these men of faith have shown us. The truth impacts us at whatever age or stage, whether we remember the network orange or not. Perhaps this morning you're sitting here and you're retired. Perhaps you'll soon be. What are you planning to do with your retirement? Are you going to sit back and let the world pass you by? Are you going to enjoy endless cruises and vacations? sure that would be lovely. I'm not going to knock that. But are you living in light of the future? Is that living by faith? See, God promises that the best is yet to come, so don't worry about missing out on it now. Perhaps we're not retired. Well, that means we're working, doesn't it? What about our careers? Do we feel the need to earn as much money as we can now in order to have a good life? Men, we're particularly bad at this one. You see, we think we need to provide, and that's true, but that we need to provide excessively so that our families can have a good life now. But you see, our, our future aspirations, they stop really, really short. They, they last about 50 or 60 years. What about eternity that's going to follow that? Are we leading our families into that future? Parents, children, this affects them. Let me ask you, what do you want most for your children, for your grandchildren? What are your priorities for them? Sure, a good education is going to be a good thing. But in the light of eternity, is that the best priority we can have? Here's one that catches everyone in this room. Has a church that is meeting in a school building... We might feel to ourselves that having a building would make us more stable. It would give us foundations. More stable? Should we really be thinking that? I'll leave you with that one. You see, the big lie that we're told in this world is that this is it. You only live once, so get on with it now. I want to say, yes, enjoy what you have, because the Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above. But please, please don't let that become the anchor of your life. Don't let it tie you now to the here and now. Make your decisions based on faith, on who God is and on what he promises. Because the mentality of my home is here is dangerous. None of these people in our passage this morning will agree with you on that one. So don't turn back. Look forward forward beyond the grave. Look at these examples of faith. Look back to the cross, the historical verifiable event, and look forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God, and consider him reliable. So as I close, once again, how bright is your future? As a Christian, I can tell you your future is very bright. That's you. Let's get on living like it. Isn't that definition of faith so much stronger? As always, leave me a comment or send me an email. Details are in the show notes. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, let's get on with praising God this week.